Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Did you know that where markets are concerned, it's not easy to detect the difference between objective and subjective reality or between reality and fantasy? The business's view of the consumer has serious bottom-line implications. At Plus94 Research, we help businesses cut through the uncertainty by gathering and processing real consumer intelligence through advanced scientific research methodologies. Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. A very good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Uh, this is Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Obambele. Always delighted to share this space and time with you as we probe and share very intriguing insights and observations of critical issues from the perspectives of our esteemed guests. This week is an eventful week, uh, if you might recall. We have a, tonight we've got a game between Bafana Bafana and Nigeria in the semifinals. As a proud South African, we must redeem ourselves. I mean, over the past uh, two or three encounter with the Super Eagles, we really got a bit of a hiding. So it's now it's payback time. And obviously hot on the heels of the Springboks victory. So there's sufficient energy on the side of Bafana Bafana to, to really lift the cup for the second time. The other big issue that we are anticipating tonight uh, is the State of the Nations Address. As, you, as we, we know, obviously, that is one event uh, that is marred with lots of controversies. One of those is the fact that EFF is trying to obviously secure a, a victory on, on, on its pros, on its court proceedings, uh, to have them participating at the State of Nation address. We all know that in the past the EFF has, uh, stared apart a little bit. And, uh, if they are, would be out of, uh, the proceeding, you know, we probably have, to some people might argue that a, bit of a decorum that is normally associated with parliament because we all know over the past couple of years, the stature of parliament deteriorated significantly and, and really begins to show how as we as South Africans are really behaving, if the leaders in parliament uh, shout and scream at each other, that doesn't really inspire confidence at all. We, we lose sight on the bigger picture, we lose sight on what the president is about to say so that we are able to hold him and his parliament or his uh, party to account. So these are some of the issues that we are looking out for tonight. And um, as politi- as as uh, I suppose as we all proceed, the the other big uh, item that we expect to be here tonight, over and above um, the EFF issues, is really um, the the announcement of the votes. We all know that we'll be all be casting our votes sometimes in May. The date is yet to be confirmed. Hopefully, that date will be announced tonight, and uh, that would 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 gear up all political parties to be in their full swing to you and I to vote for them. Typically, being a astute citizen as you are, you'll be asking fundamental questions, questions such as uh, what happened to this under commission recommendations? How many high-profile individuals are behind bars? Uh, We'll be asking questions about the state of uh, electricity supply, which has undermined economic growth so much. We'll be asking questions about high prevalence of crime. We are definitely not not doing well when it comes to crime statistics. We'll, we'll also want to hear more about how the state security has been up, given the fact that we, it has been penetrated so, so highly and to a point where it is, it's quite embarrassment, uh, to have some major incident. Like you look at your, uh, uh, you look at your, your, your heist 
And those are some of the instances that our state security were uh, really up to the task would have been would have been in a position to fall. That the fact that car, car you know kind transit heists are, are this high does suggest that they're big loopholes. So these are some of the issues that we want to hear government or the state of the nation address addressing. Uh, what would, I mean, the other big ticket items obviously has to do with unemployment, which is shockingly high, uh, and it's unacceptable that we have so many. Youth that are employed. What is more bizarre and actually shocking, let alone embarrassing, is the fact that we're sitting with close to thousands of medically, you know, qualified professionals who are languishing because the state does not have money to pay them or to deploy them in different hospitals. I mean, we all know that in this country, the ratio of patient to a doctor is very, is very low. I mean, so I mean, it's very high. So, which means we need more and more doctors to to be deployed in public hospitals, so that we improve the quality of healthcare system. How can we improve the quality of healthcare system if we have thousands of doctors who, by the way, have been educated at this at the expense of the fiscus? And a majority of these doctors are likely to be, you know, to look for alternative um, vacancies or opportunities elsewhere. I mean, surely. What does it cost to train one medical doctor? If all these medical doctors find opportunities elsewhere, who are the biggest losers? We are the biggest losers. So these are some of the issues that are so paramount that we want to hear how the state is addressing is addressing them. Anyway, that's something that uh, is happening this week, and I certainly hope that um, we look forward to hearing the president addressing them. Moving on, uh, a word of gratitude to the Money Mayhem team under the leadership of Howard Feldman. For that one, we want to thank him for laying the foundation for this particular program. Uh, meanwhile, also allow me to thank my my team, Craig on the controller, as well as Harrison A.K., who's the producer of the show. These are, these gentlemen uh, are doing a sterling work. As we proceed, uh, if you miss any of our show, not to worry, simply go to our website uh, and retrieve any podcast and share your views uh, with us through our SMS line, which is 34519. And of course, your views and thoughts are most welcome by my Twitter handle, which is at Dr. Mbele. This week, installment of uh, your show really it's around sexual harassment in the workplace as you might know sexual harassment uh, is a universal problem given the patriarchal uh, system that we uh, emerging from a person we've been setting the scene uh, we've had recently that a British member of parliament called on the music industry to clean up its act it laid to bear in a catalogue of misogyny and discrimination and sexual abuse in a, in a 74 page report uh, which looked at the entire music sector from radio stations, recording studios and festivals and orchestras. So these are issues that are that have been intensified for the artists faced with, especially artists that are faced with intersectional barriers such as ethnic minorities and all your LGBTQ community. In making sense of this very complex or imagined phenomenon, I'm joined by Jackie Reed, who is an attorney and a senior partner and a Habit Smith Freehills. Jackie, welcome to Beyond the Governance and thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Very fascinating. Uh, just before we get to the very serious issue, your take on the uh, state of the nation. Are you excited as most people are? I am very excited. Um, I think that this is going to be an important year for South Africa generally um, with our election coming up. You know, the state of the nation, of course, has traditionally been um, fairly standard in terms of what um, our president says, but um, let's hope that 
we have some uh, real movement, um, which hopefully will occur because, of course, it is an election year. So uh, maybe things will improve <laughs> because we have an election and uh, a certain party is uh, is seemingly not doing too well at the polls and uh, possibly needs to improve and maybe will understand that uh, that the service delivery is pretty critical to that. So we'll see. I completely agree. I mean, we, we are all in sync from that point. Um, I'm not sure whether you're a soccer fan. I'm um, a soccer fan. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, I've, in fact, arranged... Um, some supporting um, snacks and drinks for the firm this afternoon. Uh, we are going to celebrate Bafana Bafana getting to the semi-final. Yay, yay, yay. <laughs> and really hoping that they that they manage to um, beat Nigeria. I think it will be a tough match, but really looking forward to it and wishing them all the best and hoping that we are going to celebrate the, them in the final. <laughs> Absolutely. We definitely do. On that note, uh, Jackie, let's have a quick break and pay our bills back in a second on much more serious issues. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Did you know that most statistics for commercial and social research are tested for accuracy at a 95% confidence level? As specialists in the field, we do test between 90 and 99% confidence levels. This is not to be confused with our name. Plus 94 is a celebration of the miracle post-94 in South Africa. We can still test the accuracy of your data at 94%. It is in our name to give you the confidence you need. Plus 94 Research. The Science of Decision-Making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrat Mbella. I'm joined by Jackie Reed, who is an attorney and a senior partner at the Habit Smith Free Hills. And the thrust of our conversation, really, uh, it's about uh, sexual harassment uh, or prevalence of sexual harassment cases in the workplace. Um, as we start with Jackie here, I suppose the first question would be, is there an overarching or, or all-encompassing definition of what is sexual harassment or on sexual harassment? Yes, so um, we have, of course, the Employment Equity Act, uh, which addresses the issue of harassment generally and defines harassment as a form of unfair discrimination. Um, And this is important for reasons that I will explain shortly. Um, We also then have a code of practice um, on harassment and bullying in the workplace. Previously, only had a code on sexual harassment in the workplace, but then this was updated um, during the course of last year or the year before um, and includes issues such as bullying, um, problematic behavior in the workplace. Sexual harassment is certainly covered in that document, um, which is a guideline. And essentially what it says is that sexual harassment is any unwanted conduct uh, on the part of one person towards another um, of a sexual nature. So things like, um, you know, there's obvious physical um, touching and so on that would constitute harassment. And then, of course, we also have verbal harassment in the form of innuendos, jokes, and those kinds of inappropriate comments um, that people that people may make in the workplace. So it covers both physical aspect and the verbal aspect. Um, obviously, um, the challenge with sexual harassment in the workplace is you have an employee 
um, who is alleging that someone else has um, unfairly discriminated against them by sexually harassing them. And of course, then it becomes a question of evidence um, and a question of credibility um, of witnesses and so on. So um, it is something, unfortunately, that has to be properly investigated and then um, dealt with at a disciplinary hearing um, and possibly at the CCMA or the Labour Court thereafter. Um, And that makes it quite difficult uh, for employees to come forward. Um, And what I've found over the years is in circumstances where an employee wants to allege sexual harassment by a fellow worker um, or a colleague, um, we have explained then at that point that it will be necessary for you to give evidence against this individual in their presence and you will also be cross-examined by them. And this unfortunately means that a lot of employees then drop their complaints um, because of the, the very nature of having to go through the process. So unfortunately, it is something that you have to do. Um, but interestingly, a um, a client of ours has actually asked whether or not it's possible that it's do something in the in, in a kind of in camera situation where the employee doesn't have to see the person who they're accusing of sexual harassment, um, and we've indicated that that may indeed be possible, um, obviously provided certain parameters are are complied with. She was. That's quite a um, hectic uh, situation. In a nutshell, there is a huge prevalence of sexual harassment based on the kind of work that you are doing, which really means um, there's more work that needs to be done education-wise to ensure that an employer understand the importance of being on a straight and narrow when it comes to sexual harassment issues. Um, you raised a very interesting point based on your broader definition, which is encapsulated in the Employment Equity Act as well as the Code of Good Practice in the workplace. You know, one issue that you've raised that is also quite important, obviously, it's, it has to do with the evidence and credibility, uh, because um, he who he alleges sexual harassment has to present a case on a basis which there will be an assessor such as people such as yourself to make a determination on whether the case has credibility or not. Take us through that two bits which are quite important from the listener who is an employer and has had instances of sexual harassment in his or her workplace? I mean, obviously, one is always concerned that it's 2024 and we're still talking about sexual harassment in the workplace and it's still prevalent. Um, Employers are obliged um, to educate employees in relation to sexual harassment. Um, The reason why this is is because um, apart from the Code of Good Practice in the Employment Equity Act, it provides that in circumstances where an employer and doesn't ensure that the workplace is free from discrimination um, in all, all employment policies and practices. In those circumstances, an employee uh, who is unfairly discriminated against at work um, can sue an employee for damage, uh, sue an employer, apologies, for damages. And those damages are uncapped. There's no reference in the Employment Equity Act to how, how significant those damages can be. Quite importantly, in relation to evidence, where you have an employee who's alleging sexual harassment, um, it would be quite important for the employer um, who would prepare the disciplinary hearing together with the employee who is alleging that he or she has been sexually harassed, that all the evidence 
is properly laid out, chronological order is always ideal, um, and that each instance of sexual harassment, if there's more than one, is explained in detail. The more detail that an employee can give, the more credible that employee sounds. Um, of course, you also have instances where employees make false allegations of sexual uh-huh. harassment. That's particularly serious, and you can be dismissed for that because that's a form of misconduct. But let's assume that this employee is obviously has, has been sexually harassed and the complaint is a valid one. Um, it, it will obviously, the evidence will depend on what kind of sexual harassment occurred. So, for example, if the individual who's harassing this, um, this employee sends them pornographic videos or pictures, um, which would be obviously not very um, astute of of the sexual harasser um, because, of course, employers are entitled to monitor employee emails because they are the company's property. Um, In those circumstances, you would have clear evidence um, because you would print out the emails and that would be, you know, it would be documentary. And those kinds of instances of sexual harassment are the easiest to prove, certainly. So whenever we deal with our clients in any circumstances, not only sexual harassment, but anything, we always say to them, please write it down. Mm -hmm. Uh, Please enter into an agreement that is written down, that is signed, um, because that makes um, proving the evidence um, on a balance of probabilities far easier. So, but of course the instances where, and there was recently a terrible case where an employee was sexually harassed for several years, it was in fact in a government department, um, and the, 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 the sexual harasser was quite um, wily and, you know, would approach the employee, um, at times during the work day when there were not many people around, um, would approach the employee in, with, with his office door closed, um, and so on. And essentially that became a he said, she said, um, scenario. But of course, um, considering on the balance of probabilities, um, in fact, the court found in her favour, and not only did she get compensation for um, um, for sexual harassment, but she also got um, damages in circumstances where what happened was, is in fact, her um, her employment was terminated. Um, I can't recall if she resigned and claimed constructive dismissal, automatically unfair constructive dismissal, or whether or not she was then disciplined um, for something and uh, and dismissed. I can't recall exactly what the reason was for her not being in an employment anymore, um, but certainly she got both compensation and damages. So it's very important for employers to ensure that they regularly train their employees on what sexual harassment is. I think one of the real challenges that we have, and particularly in South Africa, unfortunately, we've got a very high incidence of GBV in our country, and it seems that education is not the only factor that plays a role from a societal perspective, um, because I'm certain that most people who engage in sexual harassment know what they're doing is sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there is there is something else um, that means that this is what they do, perhaps a search for power, um, a search for control, um, and other psychological issues that, of course, I'm not equipped to deal with or comment on. But essentially, insofar as the courts are concerned, when um, an employee sues an employer for damages for unfair discrimination arising um, from sexual harassment in the workplace, if the employer can show 
that it tried um, as far as possible to ensure that employees were properly educated through regular training, updates and discussions in relation to sexual harassment. That's really all the employer needs to do. Um, you know, the fact that the employee then acts uh, contrary to those policies is, of course, a dismissible offence. But, uh, you know, the fact is it shouldn't be happening in the first place. But that seems to be a wider problem that we have, again, that I'm not really qualified to deal with. <laughs> but um, certainly, um, you know, insofar as employers are concerned, you know, I have found over the years it's been interesting that, um, you know, as employees come up through the ranks, you know, and obviously young people start coming into the workplace. And, you know, over the years, you know, I've attended at workplaces and given advice and training in relation to sexual harassment. And then employees obviously have an opportunity to ask questions afterwards. And they Mm -hmm. say, but what if I told uh, my female colleague that I really liked the dress she was wearing? And I said, but why are you doing that? Why Mm -hmm. is that part of your discussions in the workplace? In order to avoid a situation where you are accused of sexual harassment, you should just entirely avoid such uh, conversations like that. You don't need to comment on another uh, colleague's physical appearance uh, in the workplace. It's not necessary. It doesn't build stronger bonds between employees. You can have other discussions, for example, about Bafana Bafana beating the Eagles later <laughs> or whatever it is. You don't need to call on someone's physical appearance in order to build um, camaraderie and collaboration in the workplace. It's simply not necessary. Um, you don't have to um, compliment people on how they look um, you know, and and say things like that. It's just simply not necessary. And the risk is that, you know, you say it to the wrong person in the wrong way at the wrong time, and uh, you don't know that person's personal circumstances. They may have problems with, um, you know, some kind of abuse at home, and it turns into a very serious allegation of, of sexual harassment against you. So um, my advice to all employees always is, just avoid those conversations completely um, and, and just don't engage with them and find other things to talk about. Um, that's what I would, that, that's what I advise uh, employees to do uh, because, of course, they're at risk of losing their jobs and we all know that jobs are scarce um, and times are tough. So conduct yourself. I always say to people, um, I was giving advice to the trainees on how to dress in the workplace and I said, look in the mirror And if you're comfortable that if Nelson Mandela walked into the room, um, obviously no longer, but (laughs) previously, um, imagine if Nelson Mandela walked into the room, would you feel comfortable in what you're wearing um, to meet him? And I think it's the same concept. Um, Would you feel comfortable telling someone, you know, um, that that they look nice um, if they're someone, you know, a statesman, for example, or something? You wouldn't do it. So treat uh, your colleagues as you would people that you've got the utmost respect for and then you have a happy workplace, happy employees and you have no discrimination of any kind whatsoever. Thank you very much for that very interesting insight Cheek was I am educated uh, in so many ways. I mean I mean, the issues around just making endearment uh, expression could be misconstrued by the next person because um, we're dealing with, like you just said, you could be endearing a person only find that that person is coming from a 
completely different environment, sees things differently, and and suddenly you have been accused of of being in a harasha, and that on its own, it's not a good title to anybody for that, especially when in a position of power. Um, on that note, let's have another break, and we'll come back to do this very important conversation that affects pretty much everyone in our offices, in our workplaces. Let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Did you know that where markets are concerned, it's not easy to detect the difference between objective and subjective reality or between reality and fantasy? The business's view of the consumer has serious bottom-line implications. At Plus94 Research, we help businesses cut through the uncertainty by gathering and processing real consumer intelligence through advanced scientific research methodologies. Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Tumbele. I am in a company of Jackie Reed, who is an attorney and a senior partner at Herbert and Smith Freehills. Jackie is a renowned labor lawyer, I would imagine, and we, she's given us very ins and outs, interesting ins and outs on what constitutes sexual harassment by law and extent to which employers are obliged to train their employees and everyone else within their workplace on the sexual harassment both verbally and non-verbally uh, incidences. And and one of the issues that Jackie brought to attention is practical instances wherein some officials who abused their power, you know, had to be put in, you know, had to be put in the case, so to speak, on a, on a basis of uh, balance of probability. So we need to stay away from those kind of issues, particularly in the context of high GBV uh, in, in the country, which does not seem to fare away. So the important point is that um, the employer needs to demonstrate that they've done everything humanly possible to train their employees on the do's and the don'ts in the workplace. And, and, and as an employer, when, you've, when you have proven to have done that, that, that you, know, you may not obviously be liable for any damages uh, from what Jake has put to us, but the damages will be more accrued to the individual or the perpetrator of um, that particular incident. As we proceed, Jackie, uh, obviously the, the, the evidence, um, which is quite a big piece, what happened in instances where there wasn't any material exchange in a form of pornographic pictures, in a form of emails, and a sort of stuff. Surely that must be very difficult, but it doesn't make less of a problem to the victim, so to speak, particularly in the context of power and power relations. We know how, you know, women are treated in the workplace, uh, in, 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 this, in different sectors. So women have to work twice as hard to prove their worth and instances where the abuser or the harassers in this particular state is not, is not being physical and it's just being verbal. And, and it's very difficult for anybody to prove. How does one go through those particular instances? So what I've found generally um, in my experience over the years is that 
A sexual harasser who does things in in that manner where they use verbal innuendo, uh, implied sexual harassment and so on, they generally do it continuously. Um, it's very rare for a sexual harasser to do something once or to say something once. So generally what I would advise an employee to do who's in that type of situation, of course, would be to firstly, I think it's very important um, for the employee to advise the, the person who's saying or doing whatever they're doing um, is to say to that person, I don't like what you're doing and I want you to stop right now. And if you don't stop, I'm going to report this as sexual harassment. And there may be a challenge um, in relation to that approach, certainly. It would obviously depend on the facts. For example, if your um, direct report uh, is the person that's doing that, um, it may be very difficult to have mm-hmm. a frank discussion. But what I would do, certainly, um, is there's something in law called contemporaneous note-taking. So what you do is you make a note of the statement that is made as soon as you can so that your recollection of what has been said is as accurate as possible. Because you must remember that the longer something takes to report, not that there wasn't, not that there's any negative inference drawn from that, certainly not. Um, a lot of employer, a lot of employees who are accused of sexual harassment say, well, if it was so serious or if it was so terrible, why didn't this person, uh, report sooner? And of course, we know what sexual harassment does, um, to people from a psychological perspective. Um, and there was a case a few years ago where, um, an employee was sexually harassed for a period of over two years by a senior member of staff uh, and it took her approximately two years uh, to report it and when she did of course one of the accusations was that if she was so uncomfortable and so unhappy with the conduct she would have reported it sooner and of course the court dismissed that argument entirely and said that takes absolutely no account of the psychological damage that is done to people in circumstances where they're sexually harassed and particularly where there's a power relationship in the sense that the one person is more senior to the other. Of course, you know, for example, another example, uh, which would be a form of sexual harassment is quid pro quo harassment, where an employee says to another, um, in the event that you do X, Y, Z with me, um, which is, you know, sexual in nature, then I'll promote you or then I'll give you an increase, or then I'll make sure that your bonus is paid, or whatever it is. So there's that form of harassment as well. And so I would advise employees um, to ensure that in circumstances where the harassment is verbal only, um, in those circumstances to record it contemporaneously uh, in the sense that they, you know, write it down as soon as possible. And then I would, you know, obviously depending on the nature um, of the person, on whether or not they feel comfortable with reporting it um, immediately, they should, you know, do it as soon as they, they feel comfortable doing so. Um, but just to be aware, of course, that people that do these kinds of things generally do them continuously. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly the next time it happens, you record that. And then perhaps at that point, you might feel more comfortable um, to to report it. The other challenge is that a lot of employees, and um, I would say probably particularly more women uh, in this case, and I'm not saying men can't be sexually harassed. Of course, they can. It's just generally more prevalent amongst women. Um, But women often resort to self-blame 
and they say, well, perhaps if I hadn't worn that dress or if I have, if I hadn't, um, you know, worn so much makeup or perhaps if I hadn't done my hair that way, then he wouldn't have said that or she wouldn't have said that. So, um, you know, I think it's quite important, you know, to understand that there's a shame aspect to this as well. Um, again, a psychological aspect that I'm not, uh, that I don't have any expertise in. Um, but what I've seen over the years is, um, you know, I had a disciplinary hearing and I was the chairperson of the hearing and there were two employees uh, that were harassed by the same manager. Of course, he didn't arrive at the disciplinary hearing and he claimed that it was all nonsense and they were trying to get him fired. <laughs> and, um, you know, they, they, it had been going on for years and years and these women were absolutely broken. Um, and in fact, for the first time ever, um, I kind of lost my professional veneer and I started crying uh, when one of them was giving evidence because it was just the most awful thing to listen to um, and, to, and to conceptualize the way these women were treated. But what was even more disturbing is that there were other people in the workplace that knew it and that knew what was happening. And they spoke to these women and they said, please, please, you need to report this. It's not our place to report it. And the women said, no, 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 uh, we can't. He's our boss, etc., etc." And in fact, I, I said to that employee who knew about it and didn't say anything, I said, it is your place to say something. Uh, you, in fact, as an employee who knows about someone else being sexually harassed, has a duty of care uh, to your employer and you have a responsibility as an employee to act in the best interest of your employer. And because your employer can be exposed to a damages claim and obviously to very serious reputational damage as well, if it comes out into the public domain that there's been sexual harassment in the workplace, then in those circumstances, you actually do have an obligation to report it um, to your seniors. And the fact that the woman didn't want to is obviously something that the employer can, will have to deal with. But as an employee, you certainly have an obligation uh, to act in the best interests of your employer and reporting sexual harassment by another employee in the workplace, even where you're not involved but you know about it or you've seen it, um, would be appropriate, certainly. And, and I would certainly encourage people to speak up. As we know, we've got whistleblowers um, as well now, and of course, a lot of a lot of companies um, um, and corporate entities have whistleblower lines. If you don't feel comfortable, um, you know, reporting it openly, then perhaps do so anonymously. But certainly, um, you know, this is a scourge that um, you know continues to haunt our workplaces and we've really we've really got to get on top of it and, and try and deal with it. Interesting insights uh, in so many ways. I mean uh, the last point that you raised, uh, whistleblower we all know what happens to most of the whistleblowers uh, because they are left out in the cold and, and you raised a very important point around the socio-economic conditions, high unemployment rates so you think about yourself first and say am I prepared to risk my job um, in the best interest of the company. But that's another debate because you are saying to us, employer, employees have the moral and legal responsibilities to raise those, those particular issues. Yes. But here's, here's the, uh, a, a quagmire. If you've put it to us that employer has the responsibility to train employees on sexual harassment instances. But here's another TV poll is that in instances where the employer is an, is a, is a harasser, and I wonder whether people do put those issues on the table that as an employer, I'm the one who's harassing. And the employees have the obligation because they, they have to put what is in the best interest of the company at heart. They have got that, you know, uh, uh, duty to care. Would they be 
keen to go ahead and press charges against the employer and whose bread depends on. That's a very tricky situation to be at. Your take on that? No, of course. I mean, I mean and that's really the nature of the employment relationship. And, uh, you know, this is why we have collective labor law uh, versus individual labor law. You know, uh, when employees get together as a group and they go on strike, for example, it's a lot more effective than one employee doing something. And that's because of the power relationship between employers and employees. Uh, certainly the power relationship lies with employers. Um, and that's also, um, to an extent, um, the way in which our uh, courts operate, of course, it's based on equity and fairness, but certainly there is that understanding that the power relationship is such that um, the employer ha- is, is in a position of power relative to the employee. Um, and certainly, I wouldn't say that you know um, every employee is obliged to report sexual harassment if they know about it. Uh, it's not actually happening to them, um, but they know about it because, of course, um, issues relating to your own uh, job security, of course, are very important. Um, and certainly you wouldn't, in my view, I mean, in this particular instance, there was certainly no disciplinary action taken against that employee for not reporting it um, because of the sensitive nature of sexual harassment. And the same would be applicable certainly uh, to racial harassment um, or any other form um, of unfair discrimination. Um, so certainly I don't think that um, it would be appropriate for an employer to say you didn't act in the best interests of the company um, because you didn't report this even though you knew about it. Um, but certainly... Um, um, because of you know, you know the position of power, certainly. I mean, and in fact, not only jobs but lives. I mean, we've seen with you know the unfortunate circumstances which surrounded the Babita Dekaran matter um, and her reporting, you know, whistleblowing and and reporting corruption. You know, a similar thing because you know you must appreciate that when someone's accused of sexual harassment, that's that's a very serious charge. It is. It goes to the absolute core of the employment relationship. It's a trust issue and uh, but it's also a you know a slight on someone's essentially personality and, and who they are as human beings um, and you know in the case that I was referring to a little bit earlier about the manager who didn't arrive at the disciplinary hearing he was married with children um, and of course now we have a, we have circumstances under which he's accused of sexual harassment um, and of course you know this impacts not only him but it impacts you know many other people uh, in, in, in these sexual harassers lives and so Certainly he was, I found him guilty of sexual harassment. There was absolutely no question uh, that he was guilty. But, um, you know, this is the challenge that we face. And people know that it's a very serious allegation, just as as an allegation of racial harassment um, uh, or discrimination would be a very serious allegation and hugely uh, impactful from a reputational perspective. So certainly there are massive issues associated with sexual harassment in the workplace from many different um, angles and aspects. And it's a very, very complex issue um, and it's something that employers need to be very careful about. But the one thing they need to do is they need to make sure that they educate people as far as possible and they do so often. There was recently, um, well not that recently anymore actually, it was probably about four years ago in the UK, there was a case where um, the employer led evidence that they had trained um, employees in relation to sexual harassment approximately two years previously and that was, the court found that was not good enough. You've got to train people regularly. Um, you've got to make sure that these discussions happen openly, regularly, so that people know and understand. Um, because also one of the things that an employer is required to prove when determining whether a dismissal is, 
it's fair or not, um, is whether or not the employee knew about the rule or reasonably could have been expected to be aware of the rule. Now, if you have training every two years on sexual harassment, the, 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 the probabilities um, may favor the employee saying, well, I didn't really know um, about this rule. Of course, kind of like with sexual harassment um, with an employee saying I didn't know I was you know this was sexual harassment it's almost like saying I didn't know this was stealing because you really (laughs) but uh, you know and that's and this is the thing and and because it's such a serious allegation that's what employees do employers um, who are in any uh, who are going to defend themselves at a disciplinary hearing the first thing they all say and I've chaired thousands of disciplinary hearings over the years um, the first thing they say is I didn't know and so in order to avoid that it, it, it is the most simple thing to avoid is to make sure you've got written policies and procedures and this is particularly important in the sexual harassment space um, because that shows that you've it, tried to educate your employees and then secondly to have the training as well so you have the training on the sexual harassment policy and every six months your HR department sends out a sexual harassment policy. This is a reminder. Um, and you don't have to do training in the sense that, you know, a lawyer like me yeah. stands up and gives everyone training, although I think that's quite useful because um, often lawyers have their own little stories that they like to tell. Um, and certainly as I get older, I enjoy telling uh, all the stories <laughs> as my as my um and bosses used to tell me. Um, they were operating in South Africa in the, in the very exciting times of strikes and all of that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it's, you know, it, it, that is useful. But of course, there's also, you can do these things very kind of cheaply on, online. You can do, um, you know, tests essentially where. I suppose what's more important is from the employer's point, just prove that you, you've been consistent you're on a regular basis so that you are able, you eliminate a uh, possibility of the accused saying, I did not know. Exactly. That's, that's, that's what it was, it was on. To the other critical important point that you raised, which um, the listener would heed, especially when you are a victim, is that that take note as many as as, as much as possible, um, because if you take those notes, you are able to record or recall uh, incidences uh, uh, when you in fact instances where you are called upon to provide evidence, you are more likely to be as accurate as possible given the fact that you have been noting the dates, the, the, the scene, and, and those kind of stuff, which really makes uh, your case slightly stronger because you are not, um, you know, you, your recollection it, it would be as tight as possible. The other issue that you raise, which is pertinent, and it's the psychological impact on the victim so to speak. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's something that, that, that employers obviously need to be aware of. And the other issue that you raise is part of the psychological implication is that women tend to, in the main, tend to blame themselves for dressing in this particular fashion or for wearing this particular makeup and so on and so forth. And that is not a here nor there uh, because you, you, if you are comfortable with the dress that you've put in, as you've put it up earlier, you're comfortable with your makeup, and and people are educated in sticking to the jobs. And you, you're not there to endear person a person remark because that just might be misconstrued for something that is completely off the chart. And we have had instances of sexual harassment, you know, from from bottom to top. Even in, 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 at some point, the, the president of this country was accused of sexual harassment. Indeed. The ramifications are quite huge for, for the office, for the individual concerned and his family and so on and so forth. So you, we need to be mindful of the bigger picture. It's not just about you. You're bringing pretty much your village 
you know, around you on this particular matter. Um, and just also one final point in relation to training. Um, you know, at Herbert Smith, we have thousands of lawyers uh, all over the globe, um, and we regularly receive notifications from um, our risk and compliance um, officers or HR or whoever it is um, in the organization saying, you need to attend this training, and it's online training, 30 minutes, half an hour, whatever it is, um, 45 minutes, sometimes 15 minutes, and you have to tick all the boxes, and then once you've done that, it's confirmed that you've done the training. Um, so, you know, employers can do it very inexpensively, um, very quickly, and they can make sure that everyone knows exactly what it is. Um, you can do it in the form of videos, um, in the form of, you know, selecting multiple choice, um, you know, answers, etc. Um, and, and it's actually very easy to do, and, it, and it's really important from an evidence perspective. Absolutely. As we go there towards the end of the beautiful show, let's take a break. We'll back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Did you know that most statistics for commercial and social research are tested for accuracy at a 95% confidence level? As specialists in the field, we do test between 90 and 99% confidence levels. This is not to be confused with our name. Plus 94 is a celebration of the miracle post-94 in South Africa. We can still test the accuracy of your data at 94%. It is in our name to give you the confidence you need. Plus 94 Research. The science of decision making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Mbele. I'm joined by Re Jackie Reed, who's an attorney and a senior partner at Habit and Smith Free Hills. And you know, we're really uh, probing notion of sexual harassment in the workplace. Jackie has really given us incredible amount of insights on what constitutes sexual harassment. Under which circumstances sexual harassment needs to be looked at? What's the role of the employer? What are the responsibilities of the employees and those who are witnessing incident of sexual harassment. Uh, the last point I want to bring to you, uh, Jackie, is we know we have instances where employer or individual has been falsely accused of sexual harassment, whatever reason. How how often have you come across this particular issue, and what are the legal recourse of the the, the accused? Interestingly, I haven't actually come across it many times. It's not as prevalent as you know reports of sexual harassment are, um, because I. I think people understand um, what's at stake for them in the event that they do falsely accuse someone. Um, but certainly, of course, there are instances of this. We've seen it, um, obviously, in other forms of discriminatory um, allegations, um, you know, uh, race. Um, and others, so you know, it, it's it's obviously going to happen. Um, it's just not not as not as prevalent um, from my experience, but of course, maybe different for others. Um, and I would say that you know, it's it's a huge risk that you take um, as an individual where you basically make a false allegation because um, you know, I've always said to uh, my young boys. Um, the problem with a lie is that it's difficult to remember. And mm. truth is always easy to remember because it's the truth. And what happens is if, is if you are dishonest uh, in your allegations, it's likely that your story or your evidence is going to be inconsistent and it won't be credible because it's difficult to remember exactly what didn't happen um, because you're making it up. 
So in those circumstances, it generally comes out quite easily and quite quickly um, that this, this employee is not uh, making a valid claim against um, another colleague. Um, and certainly that would result in, uh, once that's determined, that would result in that employee being summarily dismissed following a disciplinary hearing. I mean, that would be um, a quite clear example of where the trust relationship would break down irretrievably and um you know, and and dismissal would be appropriate in those circumstances, um, because it's simply not not okay um, to to make those kinds of allegations because of the seriousness and as you mentioned earlier, the you know the effects on the wider you know society within which um, a person conducts themselves. So yeah, definitely not not a good idea, um, and you won't remember your life. So. <laughs> That's one phrase that I'm going to recall I'll remember you by. The truth is easy to remember. The lies are difficult to remember. This is something that is very powerful. Unfortunately, we're going to believe it here, Jackie. Thank you once again for your time and your insights, which has certainly benefited me and the listener. Uh, everywhere else uh, who is tuned in to this particular show would give you a thumbs up for you have left us slightly more empowered. And it's particularly on things that we take for granted and, you know, not obviously assuming that we're not, we don't mean harm. We just don't know how our utterances are being, are being consumed by the next person. Those kinds of insights are very powerful. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. There we go. That's uh, Jackie Reed, who's an attorney and a senior partner in Habit and Smith Hills, giving us very interesting observations uh, and insight from a legal point of view around the um, sexual harassment in the workplace, which is something that unfortunately uh, it still continues despite tons and tons of you know, codes, tons and tons of regulation, tons and tons of pretty much every regulatory aspect that you can think of, and yet it still persists. So we do need to promote this kinds of issues so that we don't have perpetrators of sexual harassment going out uh, on a free. As we conclude the show, don't lose your agency, don't lose your saltiness, remain rigor, and be the change that you wish to see in the world. So said Mahatma Gandhi at some point. Shalom. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Did you know that where markets are concerned, it's not easy to detect the difference between objective and subjective reality or between reality and fantasy? The business's view of the consumer has serious bottom-line implications. At Plus94 Research, we help businesses cut through the uncertainty by gathering and processing real consumer intelligence through advanced scientific research methodologies. Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making.